Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet Oncology podcast. Richard Lane with you and it's Friday, March the 23rd. This month we're looking at a systematic review concerning HPV and anal cancer and I'm delighted to be joined on the line from Sydney, Australia by one of the authors of this systematic review, Professor Andrew Grulich. Good morning or good evening, Andrew. Good evening, Richard. Good to talk to you. You too. Thank you very much for uh, talking to the Lancet Oncology late on on a Friday evening in Sydney, Australia. This paper looks very interesting and it concerns the area of anal cancer, which, as you say in the paper, is rare in the general population. But there are some subpopulations where this is a real uh, clinical and, and health issue. Is that right? What's the, the context? What's the background to this study? As you say, Richard, it is rare in the general population, although it has been increasing quite steadily in developed countries for the last 30 years or so. But particularly, it has been increasing in recent years in homosexual men. In some studies of HIV-positive homosexual men, the incidence is now reported to be greater than 100 in 100,000 per year, which makes it more common than colorectal cancer in that population, which is quite extraordinary. And so we in response to that significant burden of morbidity, some US and European researchers have advocated we should have an anal cancer screening program and have actually commenced informal screening programs loosely based on what we do for cervical cancer screening. But in contrast to those researchers, others, and that includes the UK Health Technology Assessment um, Program, have concluded that anal cancer screening is, is not cost effective. Thank you for that background. So what was the specific aim of this current study? And it is a systematic review, so clearly you're reviewing the existing data and pooling it, aren't you, to try and get a better understanding of, of what's going on in this field? That's right. So one of the main impediments to introducing a screening program that's been highlighted by a number of researchers is that there's really insufficient agreement on uh, the natural history of anal cancer and the, and the conditions that lead up to it. Our main aim was really to summarise all published data on the prevalence and incidence of anal HPV, the cause of anal cancer, and then the pre-invasive lesions that precede anal cancer and anal cancer. And we, we confined the analysis in this study to homosexual men, the population who are by far the greatest risk of anal cancer. Do go on and tell us what you found, because obviously HPV, as it is in cervical cancer, is, is the crucial thing here. Were you looking at all types of HPV, by the way, or looking at particular subtypes? The systematic review included only high-risk uh, HPV and particularly focused on HPV 16 and 18, which are uh, the most common causes of anal cancer. In fact, particularly HPV 16 is thought to cause 80 to 90% of all HPV-associated anal cancer. So what we found, there were quite a number of studies in the field. We found over 50 studies, uh, but the great majority of them were cross-sectional. There was uh, only a handful, and I mean fewer than five, that were prospective studies of anal cancer precursors. It was striking with our estimates uh, that there was a lot of heterogeneity in them, and that likely indicates considerable variation in, in the study methods. Uh, so we uh, stratified our results by HIV status, so we, we compared the prevalence in positive and negative men, HIV positive to HIV negative men, and for each outcome that we looked at, the prevalence was much higher in the HIV positive. So just to pull out a few examples, for any HPV infection, 93% of HIV positive men were positive compared to 64% of HIV negative. For HPV 16, by far the most important uh, subtype in terms of anal cancer risk, 35% of HIV HIV positive men 
were positive uh, compared to 13% of HIV negative. And I should emphasize, we only selected studies that seem to have reasonably non-biased samples. So if they sampled, for example, men with a known history of warts or men with uh, relatively few sexual partners, we regarded those studies as biased and, and didn't include them. So these figures should be broadly representative of the population of homosexual men. So moving through the natural history onwards from HPV, we found extraordinarily high rates of high-grade precancerous lesions, the sort of lesions that for cervical cancer always are treated and for anal cancer precursors many researchers advocate should always be treated as well and so the prevalence in HIV positive men was just under 30% and in HIV negative men just over 20% so they are extraordinary high figures for what at least in, in some fields is thought to be a precancerous lesion. Just to interrupt when you say treatment in the comparison with, with cervical cancer what would treatment be? Surgical excision? A variety of ablative um, therapies they're not usually surgical excisions but various forms of heat, of cold, laser and essentially uh, those sort of physically destructive therapies or chemically destructive therapies. And then in terms of cancer we found that rates approached 80 per 100,000 in HIV positive men but we've actually found very few studies in HIV negative homosexual men and, and that's perhaps not surprising when you think that there's actually no population denominator for HIV negative homosexual men and that makes it very difficult to study whereas for HIV positive homosexual men the existence of HIV registers around the world has, has enabled that to be studied in some depth. That rate of anal cancer we found in HIV positive men is obviously extremely high. It's, it's actually considerably higher than rates of cervical cancer were in women prior to cervical cancer screening and, and that's clearly of concern. But when we compared the prevalence of high-grade uh, intraepithelial neoplasia to the incidence of cancer, we calculated a likely progression rate in HIV-positive men of about 1 in 600 per year, which is much lower than the rate of progression of CIN3, so intraepithelial disease in the cervix, uh, which is in the order of 1 per 80 per year. So we think that these results really challenge the standard screening approach of identifying and ablating high-grade disease because if the progression rate is so low, there really is a question about whether we should be treating it all or whether we should be trying to identify a small subset that is at high risk of progression. And so we think that our finding justifies uh, the conduct of cohort studies which follow men with high-grade intraepithelial disease to see which are likely to regress because with this very high prevalence of pre-invasive disease and a relatively low rate of progression, it's clear that some cases must be regressing. And one area in particular for study would be to look at biomarkers which might predict who's likely to regress and who's likely to have persistent disease. Thanks very much. So a very important finding there. So it's not a question of trying to superimpose what we know about cervical cancer onto this disease, anal cancer. It would appear that there's a very different sort of natural history of the disease going on that's quite distinct from cervical cancer. It's clear that, that there's many aspects of, this, of the natural history that are similar, but it, it does appear that high-grade disease is not a condition that progresses as quickly or as usually as, as cervical high-grade disease. What are the next steps in this area? Because, as you say, there's, there have been calls for screening, and screening implies 
treatment and management. Your results are not saying that. Not really. I would hate our results to be seen as suggesting that we can leave this field and say we don't need to worry. That's absolutely not our finding. We believe that our study suggests that anal cancer screening uh, should really be occurring within a research setting. We need uh, the collection of more data so that we really understand progression and regression rates. The rates of invasive cancer and HIV positive homosexual men are really extraordinarily high. We really think that it highlights the need for really urgent investment by granting bodies into this area because it's been somewhat of an orphan area until now. It's interesting to see around the world that no medical speciality has taken ownership of this. In, in parts of the world, it's infectious diseases physician doing this. In parts of the world, it's venereologists doing this. It really needs to be taken forward in a research environment with some quite major investment. Well, it's a fascinating topic, very interesting study. Many thanks indeed, Professor Andrew Grulich on the line from Sydney in Australia. You're welcome. And do look out for the linked comment by Nicholas Fensenson at the National Institutes of Health in the United States. Well, many thanks for listening. See you next time.